Why don't you guys welcome our senior pastor, Jim Baker. Hey. Hey, Sean, I'll take that. We could have Jamil come up here. He wanted to talk about something for a second. So come on up, Jamil. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> Jamil and his wife uh, lead up our healing teams. And so here you go. Thank you, dear brother. All right. Awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, one thing that's on our heart, my heart, uh, ministry team heart, is that the ministry of Jesus Christ, we, Pastor Jim is teaching a lot about healing and deliverance, but I wanted to point out that there's people that have needs that you can't see in the physical. Uh, Psalm 142 verse 7, the verse that says, release my soul from prison, that I may praise thee. Sometimes people are in prison that you can't see outwardly. Their mind, their will, their emotions, their conscience are tormented. And Jesus Christ's ministry is a ministry of not just healing but deliverance. Luke 4.18 says he came to set the captives free and to heal the brokenhearted. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus with power, Holy Spirit, and with power who went about doing good healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. So spiritual oppression is a serious thing. And if you have anything that's afflicting your heart, your soul, come up for prayer. We don't judge. Jesus Christ wants us free. The devil wants to intimidate you and think no one cares, no one loves you, I can't tell anybody. I'll be real brief. I had a friend of mine, successful businessman, he had reached out to me a couple months ago. He goes, I'd like to meet with you, get together. I said, okay. I said, let's meet for lunch. He said, no, let's go for a walk. So I'm going on this walk. This gentleman, he's, he's over 50, very successful. So we're walking. He looks at me, and he goes, um, he asked me, he said, do you have a men's fellowship? I said, no. And I said, well, what's going on? He looks at me. Well, he says, I want to tell you, I started a men's fellowship on my own. He says, because when I was, he was a child, he got introduced to pornography, and it tormented him his entire life. And he goes, men don't have a place to go, and the churches don't want to talk about it. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you're tormented with anything, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, get free. Get free. The devil's a liar. He tries to isolate, dominate, and control. Um, a pastor reached out to Zion a few days ago, and I became aware of it. So I called him a few days ago, and he uh, was hurt and upset. He says, look, I have a situation in my church, and he told me what was going on. And he goes, I'm tired of feeling powerless. He said he saw Pastor Jim's teaching. He said, I'm tired of feeling powerless. He says, I need help. Can you help me? So I'm telling you, this is a very special place. We're not perfect, but it's a special place. The only perfect person is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only people Jesus ever used was broken people. That's right. So we're all learning and growing, but don't be intimidated. If you need help for any issue, Please come talk to someone on the ministry team or someone here on the staff. Get help. You don't have to be isolated. That's what I wanted to share. 
We're here to see you well in Jesus' name. Amen. That's good. Thanks, Jamel. It's a good word. Yeah, get free for you, but get free for your family, your uh, future generations, all that. They, uh, they deserve the best version of you. All right, well, we are in part 24 out of 26. Can you believe it? 24. So we're uh, doing a series called Heal Like Jesus, and we're looking at the 26 individual healing stories of Jesus, and uh, we're learning how to heal like him. So the disciples, how did they learn healing ministry? They didn't uh, go to seminars about the Old Testament. They didn't uh, learn from the Pharisees, definitely. They learned from Jesus, looking over his shoulder, seeing how he did it. So we're learning the same way. We're looking at how he did it, understanding that we're not just going to be impressed with him, but we're going to do it the same way he did, because he was a man in right relationship with God. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We have the same relationship with God as Jesus does. You guys got that part, right? All right, yeah. And so then he also, uh, he didn't do any miracles until he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so you guys, when you became born again, the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you. And uh, we've got the same access to the same power. So Luke chapter 17, the 10 lepers. So we've got 10 lepers this week. Next week, we've got blind Bartimaeus. And then we've got Malchus getting his ear chopped off. And I'm sure Peter wasn't aiming for his ear when he uh, was going for that part. But um, yeah, it's going to be good. All right, so the last three stories. I'm, I'm, I can't believe we're here. So I'm going to miss these stories. All right, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, meaning Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, those are people with leprosy, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. After looking at the 23 other stories of Jesus, you think you've kind of seen everything. You kind of think you know the pattern, but this one is different. This doesn't fit any of the patterns of Jesus' other healings here. So let's look at verse 11 there, Luke 17, 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So if we could pull up the slide here. Um, I don't know what happened to my laser pointer. I am so, uh, I'm so missing it here. I know, I know. The, the weeping and gnashing of teeth among the people of God this morning. I'm sorry about that. So Jesus is in Galilee. I'm not even tall enough to reach. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get like a little step stool and point here. So Jesus, he's up in Galilee, and he's going to Judea. In order to get there, he's going to have to go through Samaria. But instead of going through Samaria, we're going to see it was really hostile there. He goes around. He's going to cross over the Jordan River, walk on this side of the Jordan River to uh, not go into Samaria, and then come back over to get into Judea. We'll see that in another week here. And so, um, and so you have to understand, there was hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, just culturally. Not Jesus didn't hate them, but just culturally, this is what was going on. And it was more than just hostility. It was hatred. They hated each other. Uh, when they saw each other on the road, it's recorded they would begin cursing each other. They would throw, when they got close enough, they'd begin throwing rocks at each other. There'd be fist fights when they came into contact. They're always on the edge of war. Teenagers would sneak over into uh, Samaria, and Samaritans, with teenagers, would sneak over into uh, Judea, and they would burn each other's houses down. Okay? And so uh, when Jesus came down from Galilee, there'd be many fights along the way. So he decides he's going to go from Galilee, cross over the Jordan, just avoid all this hot mess, right? So right now he's on that border between Galilee and Samaria, 
And in verse 12, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. So I love this. He comes into this unknown village. Here's these 10 men. They're unknown. We don't know who they are. They've got leprosy. There's 10 of them. And uh, we've met lepers before in this series, right? We've seen Jesus heal other lepers. And uh, there's rules um, that, that, that lepers have to follow because they were so contagious. Picture like someone in a radioactive suit. You're like, whoa, like, let's get back from this. That was kind of like the lepers of the day. They were not allowed inside a village, so they were always on the outskirts of town. If they came upon a person and it was a sunny day, they had to be six feet away. And so I'm not sure if COVID like, picked up the Old Testament rule. I'm not I'm sure they got that whole thing. But uh, six feet away, if it was windy, they had to stay 150 feet away. Okay? And so apparently it's a windy day because it says they're at a, what does it say? They're at a distance, right? Who stood at a distance. So they're far away from Jesus. I know the picture here has got them at Jesus' feet, but they're probably a little bit farther away. Those are the ten lepers. Isn't that a cool artwork? So... My wife did the artwork. She put the slides together, so I'm giving her credit. So they had to cover their faces. They disheveled their hair. They had to tear their clothes. And so the picture was they were walking death. They were like living out their funeral. And the idea was um, people, uh, this wasn't biblical uh, law, but the people said that you are being judged by God. The reason you have leprosy is because you did something wrong. This is the judgment of God upon you. You guys remember back in the 80s when um, HIV and AIDS first came out? What were people saying? This is the judgment of God on you for sexual immorality or for intravenous drug use, even though innocent people got it. People were so quick to say, this is God's judgment on you. I'm so glad we've outgrown that. Aren't you so glad? <laughs> the Pharisees are still around today. And so, you can, um, so they were looked at like they were going to their own funeral, and they were like the feral stray dogs of society living on the outskirts of town. They were about as welcome as a Michigan Wolverine fan at a Buckeye tailgate party. Are you seeing the hostility here? Oh, yeah, now you're getting it. Now you're like radioactive, yeah, AIDS, uh, oh, oh, Wolverines. Okay, we got it now, okay? <laughs> so when it says they're standing at a distance, it was probably a windy day, windy day, and they're crying out, I'm unclean. Verse 12, and as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, verse 13, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can you uh, imagine the reaction of these ten lepers? I mean, they're not allowed in towns or on the outskirts of society, and all of a sudden, here he is, and they recognize that it's Jesus. Whatever these guys have heard, they may have, maybe they've seen him teach at some point, but they recognize this is the guy. And it says when they saw Jesus, they raised their voices. Now, when someone gets leprosy, the first thing that gets attacked are their vocal cords. They get ulcers on their vocal cords, so they've got this raspy, harsh voice. And so uh, when it says they lift up their voices, it's more than just shouting. Now you can hear like this, this chorus of this harsh, cackling cry of the lepers, crying out to Jesus, trying to get his attention. So there's 10 of them trying to do that. You can almost imagine like someone stranded on a desert island, and all of a sudden there's like a, a plane going by that could rescue them, and they're all out there yelling. And so apparently Jesus doesn't see him at first. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, okay, so apparently they don't see him at first, so they're getting louder. They're desperate. This is their one chance. They have no hope. Jesus appears. And uh, when he saw them, they're crying out. They're, so here they are. They're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus sees them. And I think it's interesting that they recognize Jesus from a distance. It's not like there was social media. not like there was like, a lot of pictures like, to go by. I don't think there's any wanted posters of them at that time. And uh, these are the last weeks of Jesus' ministry. I mean, here he is. He's on his way to Passover to be crucified. Okay? This time, uh, it's interesting. By this time, anywhere he goes in Israel, he's known. And so even all these outcasts, they live in a border town of this unknown village. As soon as they see Jesus, they know who he is. And they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So what are these ten lepers saying? This isn't just like some religious thing. Oh, Master, have mercy on us. It's not, it's not some religious thing. What are they saying? They're recognizing who Jesus is. You are the Master. 
You have power. You have authority. We believe you can do anything. And they're, they're, they're crying out for help. They've heard all these things about Jesus in those last three years of ministry. It's been spreading like gossip all through, all through, the, all through the area. Everyone knows about Jesus. He's so recognizable that these guys in the outskirts, they even recognize him. And what are they saying? Have mercy on us. Pity us. Be sympathetic to our condition. Act in compassion towards us. Now, as I'm reading this 24th miracle, I think I know what Jesus is about to do. Right? I mean, you, you, we've seen this before. What's Jesus going to do? He's typically going to go over to them, bring them to a point of faith, do something like that, right? But um, you know, in, he, in other stories, he goes out of his way to touch lepers. It's almost like he's trying to be offensive with these things. But right, what does he do here? He doesn't touch these people. He doesn't give the, uh, a word of command to disease. He doesn't say, leprosy be cleansed in my name. He doesn't do any of that stuff. Um, what, that's what he's been doing in all the other stories, right? He's been speaking to the disease. He's been rebuking fevers. He's been touching people. He doesn't even do any of the symbolic actions. No mud in the eye, no spit in the tongues. Like, aren't you expecting Jesus to do something like one of these things? If you're, if you're just reading the story for the first time, you're like, okay, he's going he's gonna to move towards them. Um, we've gotten used to Jesus sitting down with people and bringing them to a point of faith that they didn't even know was on the inside of them, having a conversation with them, but there's none of it here. He doesn't even really speak to them. He doesn't command the disease. He gives them a command. And, he's, uh, uh, and the act of faith that he asks them to do, it leaves me speechless. Okay? What are these? T- I mean, look, look what happens. Uh, let's go over it slowly. Jesus has done no charismatic thing. He's not done anything to them. He didn't wave his hands over them. He didn't do any special acts. He's done nothing to them. And he just says, go show yourselves to the priest. Christ telling, what's he doing? He's telling them to respond to the law of Moses. Uh, in order to be received back in society, the book of Leviticus had some rules. And the priests were like the medical professions of the day. If you were a leper, you got a certificate that you were a leper and they had it on file. And then if you uh, believed that you were healed, you could come back. And the priest would certify you that you'd been healed. And so they were like the health department of the day. And so Jesus looks at these men full of leprosy. He sees the awfulness of their condition. And without speaking a word to their disease, without touching them in any sort of way, he says, go to the health department and get your certificate. I mean, that's crazy. No one in their right mind would leave Jesus the healer with just that word. Jesus, have mercy on me. Yeah, go to the health department and get a certificate. And they're not healed as they're walking away. I mean, this is unbelievable faith of these 10 men. Jesus hasn't done anything. Their skin hasn't changed. The ulcers on their vocal cords, nothing has changed. They're still full of leprosy. And Jesus is the healer is right there. Why would you leave his presence in the same condition? I can't believe these guys. They're not even allowed to get close to where the priests were in that system. They're not allowed to go into towns or crowded places. This is an irrational request here. But they do it, and they do it instantly with no argument. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But they're doing this irrational thing slowly on the word of Jesus spoke it to them. They recognize who he is. Jesus says it, and so they act on that word because of that. They understood what going to the priest meant. And I would imagine, I wonder if some of them dreamt of the day when they could go to the priest and show themselves and be cleansed. And here he is. So they, they knew what this meant. They knew what the act of going was. And so, uh, they're, so then their minds are thinking, if Jesus says, go and get the certificate, we'll go and get the certificate. Why? Because of who they perceived Jesus to be. They recognized he was one with authority. They recognized he was a master. And by the way, I don't know how you picture this. I don't think it was a group of 10 um, going together, like in this, you know, this group, to the same priest. Okay? I doubt that it was like 10 lepers all in the same town traveling together. They probably were born in, in different towns. They went to different priests, got certificates in different areas. 
And uh, they came together. They found each other by their common cause. Now they're kind of surviving together in the outskirts of town. But they probably went in 10 different directions to the towns that they came from. They're, t- they're trying to find this. And I say that because when only one person comes back, you've got to be thinking, where are the others? I, you know, it's, I don't think it's the scene like one guy's like, I'm so thankful. Aren't you guys coming? Nah. Like, I don't picture like that. They're, they're all going, and they're all realizing it almost independently that they're, that they're being healed. Are we all right so far? All right, so looking like leprosy, smelling like leprosy, they're rotting, decaying skin. They're going off in 10 different directions to find 10 different health departments to get their certificates. So that's the picture that's going on there. Verse 14, let's read it again. Uh, When he said to them, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. Wow. So uh, the the picture of being healed there is is a picture of like a stain being removed. So the stain is there, and now it's not there. The disintegrating skin is there. The limbs that are deteriorating, all of a sudden, they're they're recognizing. Every cell of their body is being energized, and it's coming back alive. But now I want you to notice this. They weren't healed immediately, but as they were on their way to see the priests. And wouldn't it be different if they're like, like, go show yourself to the priest. Yes! Praise God, this is amazing. I mean, they're walking away smelling like leprosy, seeing full of leprosy, their feet. Imagine the sands getting in the the sores of their feet as they're walking. They're still not healed, but they're going on that word. They're holding on to it. And they were cleansed as they were in the act of going. All Jesus said was, go and show yourselves to the priest. Imagine you're a leper. You don't have any hope in the world of getting better. Your sin's disintegrating. Your voice is leaving you. You know in the pit of your being that you are sick and you have a death sentence. And this is the day of their life. What a coincidence. They're on the outskirts of society, and it just so happens that Jesus is passing by. The ten of them are together on the one day Jesus passes through this village. He's never been there before. We know he's never going to be back because he's on his way to his death going to Jerusalem. And on that day, ten of them happened to be be there. Lepers didn't live in one place. They moved around from town to town trying to find mercy in different spots. So they just happened to be there, and they recognized Jesus. I mean, guys, can you see this is the day of their life? I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, like Robinson Crusoe or something. They're like stranded. Gilligan, they're on that island. And then all of a sudden, after all this time, there's hope. There's hope. And so they're as close to Jesus as any leper is going to get on a windy day. And uh, they've been able to get so close to him, they're able to shout. He's responding to them. This is their only chance. And they're leaving without being healed. I mean, this, is, this is astounding to me. I mean, uh, there's still lepers. There's still the running swords. Everything's the same. This is the day of their life, and they're leaving the presence of Jesus without being healed because they're taking him at his word. This is incredible. See, unbelief or doubt would have said, Jesus, you got to do something. I, I, don't, I, like, I, I can't leave until, you, until you've done something here. But they don't argue. They don't say, hey, we're lepers. You healed everyone else who came to you. You healed all the other lepers. You at least got to heal us before we go to the priest. We're not even allowed near the priest. That makes a whole lot of sense. But they took Jesus at his word. They recognized, Master, they left Jesus without any visible sign of healing. I'll be honest, I think if I was a leper, I would be ballistic at this point. Don't send me away, not until I'm healed. This is my only chance. I I can't believe I'm even coming across this. Please don't send me away. Their faith in Christ resulted in obedience to his direction. Okay, It was their expression of faith. He's going to go on and say, your faith has made you well. It was their faith that, uh, that brought their healing. Faith will show up in your actions and your speech, but your actions and your speech don't produce faith. 
Okay, I'm going to say this again. I'm, we're going to go over this because uh, we're part of the charismatic movement, and sometimes this gets a little bonkers. Okay? Faith will show up in your actions and your speech, but your actions and your speech don't produce faith. So many char- char- charismatic Christians, they got a good heart, but they get it backwards. They think if I keep confessing with my mouth, if I keep confessing and saying it, I'm not sick, I'm healed. I'm not sick, I'm healed. Then suddenly God will go, oh, you're healed because you've said it enough and you've confessed it enough. And Confessing it doesn't mean you have faith, but when you have faith, it will affect the way you talk. A lot of people think they have to do something brave to show God they have faith. I'm going to go throw up my medication. I'm going to go stomp on this broken foot to show them I'm healed. That action does not prove that you have faith. But when you have faith, you won't need the medication anymore. When you have faith, you'll put weight on that foot knowing that it's going to feel better. Are you seeing the difference? There's a confession of faith, but it's the faith that's the fire. The confession is the smoke in the chimney. We don't say or do something to prove we have faith, and we have faith that's going to show up in our speech and our actions. We don't earn our healing with our words and our actions, but we do and we say because God has spoken a word to our hearts, and now there's action. And if you've ever been there before, you know exactly what I mean. You just know that you know that you know. God has spoken. You don't have to convince yourself. You're not trying to get, uh, get it into your mind. Uh, I know people who have come off of insulin. I know people have chucked themselves out of hospitals. I've seen people take crutches and throw them away. Then we used to have, you know, there's one on the wall there. Um, but listen, you wouldn't dare do that unless Jesus had spoken it to your heart. I remember I had a, a severe gluten allergy. I would, uh, let's just say, I would, I would lose weight without diet or exercise. Let's just put it that way. If I ate gluten, the hard way, right? <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, yeah. There we go. And so. Um, so I, it was really bad, and I remember I was, I mean, it would, it would be a horrible thing. And so I, I was sitting there reading the Bible one day, and uh, it was just, it was an odd story. It was Daniel chapter 9 and 10 about the prince of Persia, and Daniel prayed, and there was this war in the heavenlies. And I'm reading this, and I'm recognizing, you know what? It's, it said that Daniel's prayer was heard the moment he prayed it, but there was this battle, this answer was on the way, that's why it was delayed. And I'm like, God's, and I recognize this is Old Testament, I can see. All of a sudden, I just had this knowing, God's already answered my prayer. I'm like, I, I already knew it. I'm like, now I had a um, breakfast appointment that day at Cracker Barrel. And so normally I would get, you know, eggs and all that type of stuff. But I'm like, I want the, uh, the blackberry pancakes with the whipped cream, which is the closest you can get to dessert and still call it breakfast. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And so, I mean, it's, it's like, it, you know, it is definitely the sin of gluttony if you're going to eat all of them. It's like the size of Captain America's shield, this plate. And so... You, uh, and so I remember I, I ate those pancakes, and every bite was an act of faith. I had no effects of it. And so it was just, I was, listen, that would be stupid to go and go, oh, I'm going to show God that I have faith by eating these pancakes. I'd be on the toilet losing weight, right? <laughs> and so, um, but when I knew it, it affected my actions. You don't have to do something to show God that you have faith, but when you're healed, you'll know it. It'll show up in your actions. I remember was, uh, we are doing this uh, healing service up in um, Defiance, Ohio, which I'm not sure how they came up with the name of that town. But anyway, um, I mean, there, was, there was a boy there, and we, he had a cast on, and we prayed for him. And I said, well, check it out. And you know, for, to me, check it out was gingerly put weight on, you know, on the cast and see if there's still pain there. Oh, he was crying. He was shaking. He was in so much pain crying, standing up there. I think his dad had helped him up there. So he's standing there shaking, crying. So my faith is in another city. And... Um, and so I prayed for him, and so uh, he, I'm waiting for him to do it. He starts stomping his foot, rips his cast off. I'm thinking, lawsuit. 
What happened? He, he wasn't trying to show God that he had faith. This young man heard what I said, believed it way more than I did, and uh, acted on his faith and was completely healed there. I'm like, hey, you're on my prayer team. <laughs> like, yeah, have this kid pray for you. Jesus gave them this specific word. We can't make this a universal way to get lepers healed. Okay, we have to see the pattern. Jesus speaks the word for you, do that. That's the pattern. Okay, we, so many times we want to make a formula of these things. Just, uh, just like we're not starting an eye healing ministry out of putting mud in people's eyes, we don't make this a universal law, all right? Uh, here's another thing. This is possibly the longest amount of time recorded in Scripture that it took for anyone to whom Jesus ministered to receive complete healing. Okay, did you guys notice there was a delay in the healing? Um, we've looked at these stories. Most of the healings that Jesus ministered were instantaneous. And by most, I mean 24 out of 26. And then all the crowd ones, uh, you know, the, the thousands and tens of thousands that were healed in the multitudes, they all seem to be instantaneous. And so uh, the only other example is, remember, when Jesus prayed for the blind man uh, of Bethsaida, he prayed for him two different times. So um, there may be 60-second delay by the time Jesus prayed the first time, maybe less than that. And so um, in this instance, we don't know how much time has elapsed. Maybe it was a couple of minutes Maybe it was an hour or two, but I mean, the, the, far, the longer it was, this guy had to be healed and still be able to run and catch up to Jesus while they're walking too. So anywhere from a few minutes to an hour or two of delay. And so, um, so this does establish the precedent that not every healing is visible instantly. That's important for us to know. But it should be understood that there was only two exceptions in the majority of time. When you, every time you pray for someone, expect it to be instant. And if it's not instant, expect it to be soon. Don't stop believing after the prayer ends. I've told this story before, but we had a, um, a family that brought their child here. I was probably 9 or 10. He was born blind. He'd never seen before. We, you know, we did our service. We had a couple people pray for him after service. We saw no visible improvement. Uh, the family drove him home to Chicago. We got the report. Uh, the next day, he woke up with 20-20 vision. Why did it wait that long? I don't know. I'm just glad it worked. Don't stop believing after the prayer ends. We had uh, uh, um, one of our friends, he had knee surgery, and um, I think he was just a couple days old, had the, had the Velcro cast on, and uh, he's at a healing meeting, and the um, pastor calls out a word of knowledge specifically for the exact type of healing that he called. It's a young man in this area. He stands up full of expectation. His knee's killing him. He just can't believe it. He goes home discouraged, and uh, in the middle of the night, he gets up to go to the bathroom, and as he comes out of, out of the bedroom... The, uh, his wife's sitting on the edge of the bed crying. He's like, why are you crying? And she's like, don't you realize you just walked to the bathroom. You forgot to put your cast in your... He didn't even realize he was healed. He was walking completely healed. Don't stop believing after the prayer ends. Verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. So through the cells of his body, there's this surge of life that he's not even able to see, but he's able to see the effects of it. And as he's going, he's aware that his body's coming back to life. Every organ in his body is coming back to life. It's going back to original. And I don't know how far to go with this in my imagination. I mean, does his hair grow back? Because that was part of what happened in leprosy. Uh, was he missing limbs? Were those restored? I don't know. And so, uh, I mean, what would it be like for you to have those experience, those feelings? All of a sudden, you've had numbness in your body, and all of a sudden, you're getting feeling in the body. And the fingers, they, they, they had almost like bird claws. It, the, it affected their tendons, and their, their hands were wrapped up, and all of a sudden, they're becoming loose. He's got feeling back in it again. He's able to move them with, they're moving with coordination. Those uh, ulcers, the vocal cords no longer have ulcers. He's getting his old voice back. It doesn't have that raspy, harsh twang. And notice it points out, with a loud voice, he began to give God glory. He hadn't used those vocal cords properly in so long. 
And now they're coming back alive. He begins to praise God with them. This guy is overwhelmed that God is, uh, has driven leprosy, leprosy from him. So now he's going to turn around. He's like, i got to go back to the source. I know he's giving glory to God, but I know it came from Jesus. So he's going back to the source. Verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now glorifying God with this new voice, he's falling at Jesus' feet, he's giving him thanks, and he recognizes, uh, it's interesting, he recognizes, uh, you know, this is a Samaritan, he's religiously confused. I mean, they, they had some really crazy beliefs. The Pharisees had the Bible memorized, they see a miracle that Jesus does, and they say, this guy's full of Satan. Here's a Samaritan with a really strange uh, religious background, he recognizes this is from Jesus. And uh, he begins to glorify God with a loud voice. You can hear him three blocks away. I mean, Jesus and disciples, they're, they're probably walking. All of a sudden, they're just hearing this. And here's this guy. He's elated. His voice is completely different from the first time that he called out to Jesus. This passage tells us four actions that happened on his part after being healed. Two were actions with his body. He turned back, and he fell on his face when he got to Jesus. And two actions were with his voice. He praised God with a loud voice, and he gave thanks. I want to I hit this for a second. Giving thanks is the, our, is the human response to God's grace, okay? So when I receive God's grace, I receive a gift that I haven't earned. My response is to say thank you. So many times we get so used to God's blessings and we expect God's blessings that we are like the nine and we never actually say thank you. We just take them for granted. The only words you can really learn in Christianity is thank you, thank you, thank you. You have to recognize he literally has done everything for you. In our job, remember we looked at last week, we looked at the Sabbath. Adam and Eve woke up on the Sabbath day. Everything was done. Their job was to pluck the fruit and enjoy it and say thank you. Guys, that's the job of Christianity. And it takes a humble heart to receive something you don't deserve. When you're saying thank you, you're recognizing, I don't deserve this. This is a gift. And one of the benefits of, of Thanksgiving is it, is it keeps you from being so self-focused. You're recognizing it's not all about me. Well, I did this. I deserved it. Listen to Romans 1.21. It kind of describes the fall of man. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So what was the result of not honoring God and not giving thanks? But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And it just goes on this whole path of how basically homosexuality was introduced into the race. And all, all, these, all this degradation happens. Where did it start? They didn't recognize that this was from God and give him thanks. Sin says, I'm not going to acknowledge that God is God. I'll make up my own God. I don't need to turn to God. I can handle things on my own. Give thanks. I'm not going to humble myself. I deserve this. No, I will work and get by with my performance. I'm going to be my own God. I can handle this on my own. And the leper, here he is on the border of Samaria and Galilee. His actions are like the reverse of the fall. He, he acknowledges this God and gives thanks. He like reverses this whole process. And here's a picture of a man who, through nothing that he's done, he's got no track record. The only thing that happens was God's intervention. God makes it so here's this wandering bands of leopards. They just happen to walk by. So it's completely God's intervention. And this, this, uh, now this man's whole in his body, and he's now prostrate before Jesus, giving thanks to the God that he meets in Jesus. You've got the whole gospel here. <laughs> here's a guy, undeserving, did nothing. God intervenes. God does it all. And this man says, thank you. It's the whole gospel story right there. You and me praising God and giving thanks doesn't earn you anything. I used to, uh, growing up, I heard this saying, just keep praising and you'll get paid. 
Some of you have heard something like that before. In other words, you just, just keep praising God, thanking God, and, and then he'll do it. No, no he's already done it. <laughs> and we're thanking him for it when it comes in our experience, especially. Your faith, your confession, your praising, that is not currency in the kingdom of God. You don't purchase anything from God with any of that stuff. You respond with it. When you recognize what God has already done, faith is a response to that. When you see God's grace in your life, it is, it's coming in your experience, you praise God with that. Let's look at 17 and 18 again. Then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? I mean, you can just hear, like, his heart's broken. We're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? It's like, what about the absent nine? We've got to remember, they started off really good. All right, don't forget about the faith that would walk off like that. These guys showed unbelievable faith. But this one leper, it was so real to him. He's like, listen, God healed me. I've got to make a personal response to this Jesus. Why didn't the nine come back? We started getting this. I want to, I want to drill a little deeper because I think this applies to some of us today. Why didn't the nine come back? They took it for granted. And I can see how they got there. When you expect God to do something and he does something, it's easy to just leave it there. It's easy to take it. Well, of course God's going to bless me. Of course, you know, you have favor in a job interview and things go well. Of course, I expect favor. Doesn't mean you still can't be in awed, struck wonder of that favor. There's a lot of that among charismatics today. Can we just agree there's things God said he will give you and you should expect? Can we just agree on that? It's proper etiquette in the kingdom to still ask for those things. That's called prayer. Well, you don't need to pray. You just need to declare it. Have you seen prayer? <laughs> a lot of prayer is asking. Ask, seek, knock. Proper etiquette in the kingdom. God said, I'll give them to you. You should expect them, and you ask for it. And when he gives it to you, etiquette in the kingdom is you say thank you. Because, not because God needs it. Because not he's, you know, oh, they're a grateful bunch. No, because we need it. Because it keeps us in that posture of dependence. It keeps us in that, in that tender spot to keep receiving the grace of God and not step into, I'm expecting this. I'm going to do this on my own. Of course God's going to do it. And you're, you're, by God blessing you, it's actually pushing you farther away from him because your heart is not in this tender spot. It's just expectation and just something different. There's a proper time to give thanks to God for that which you knew you would undeservedly get. Never lose sight of the grace that abounds behind every single blessing. There's a danger in charismatic Christianity, and you guys ready for this, of overemphasizing what is ours in Christ to the point that you lose the wonder of it. Yeah. We can talk about our authority. We can talk about the, everything that belongs to us. We've still got to be in wonder of it. We can't get all fat and sassy, and I'm a king's kid, and I expect this. Danger, Will Robinson. And for these nine, God said it, they believed it, that settles it. Amazing. But they took it for granted. I want you to notice how Jesus couldn't believe it. We're not the ten cleansed, we're the nine. We have to learn to sniff and savor the grace of God and never get used to it. You must live in wonder that God has set his love on you, that his grace is towards you, and never get over that fact. These nine, they're so excited they're no longer lepers that they forgot where it came from. They're so enjoying their blessing that they forgot the blesser. Guys, enjoy your life. Uh, you know, one of the scriptures on financial provision is interesting. Uh, you know, 1 Timothy 6.10, you know, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. 
A lot of people interpret it as that. And so you would think that, um, you know, the way that some people say, the God's instruction to the rich, you, you horrible rich people, get rid of your money, you one percenters. Do this. And, no, no, here's what he says. Here's, here's the instructions to the rich. He says, um, be rich in good deeds. Nah, that's really important. Don't trust in your riches. Super important. For God's given you all things richly to enjoy. It's okay for you to enjoy the goodness of God with God. As you're enjoying the goodness, don't forget the source. Don't forget to include them. Don't forget to include others who haven't received that blessing. We've got to learn to sniff and savor the grace of God and never get used to it. Divine healing is not a free medical clinic where you just go and get a physical touch and a mental healing for free. In healing, God is revealing himself to you. In the healer, healing, there's a pointing to the healer. And that's way more important than the healing. We have to learn to receive a blessing from Jesus and receive Jesus afresh at the same time. I'm saying the same thing a couple different ways. You guys catching it? What these nine lepers did, they received a blessing from Jesus, but they didn't receive Jesus in the blessing. And one thing that's interesting, Jesus didn't take away their miracle. I'll be honest, I might have been tempted to. I've been like, lesson time, take out your pens. Hey, nine, whoa, raspy. I'll be honest. If I'm having a, I'm my worst day. I'm not saying today. Today I'm feeling pretty good. Except for the laser pointer thing. <laughs> Our God blesses you even if you don't give thanks. For those who think God requires some sort of perfect faith and perfect attitude in order for healing to be received, this situation reveals something different. God knew in advance that these nine would not give proper thanks and respond properly, but they had that initial faith and he healed them anyway and let them keep it. Listen to Luke 6. But love your enemies and do good and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. Ready for this? For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And this is just a great picture of the heart of God. Boy, religion paints him as something different. As the big bully up there with a cosmic magnifying glass burning the ants. For he is kind to the ungrateful. So after he's blessed the ungrateful, he doesn't take away their blessing because they were ungrateful. Verse 19, and he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus tells this man the same truth that he'd repeatedly, 18 times in the New Testament, he says something like, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. It was true of the other nine guys too. It was their faith that made them well. They just didn't get to hear it from the lips of Jesus. All right, lots of lessons for us today. And so... You and I know hundreds of people, maybe you don't know hundreds, dozens of people, lots of people who have been genuinely healed, and you have the question, what happened? They were healed, and we never saw them again. After, I think, is this 15, is this 15 years at Zion? We've seen this happen over and over again. I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody, but you just have to wonder, it's like, hold on, like, didn't, didn't you get like a radical miracle, or didn't you, like, you were on your deathbed, and like, i just be honest, yep, like, what happened? They were healed... But it didn't point them to the healer. It's like they got healed, they got the, they got the healing clinic, off on their way. They, they, never, they never came back to Jesus and enjoyed him. Healing was an invitation for them to experience the God behind the healing. When God blesses you, when God, uh, when God favors you in some way, I'm, I'm saying this again, but God, he wants you to meet the God of the favor. All right, You do not receive a blessing from God and leave it there. You receive the blessing from God, then you meet God in the blessing, and then your life will never be the same. Here's another lesson. Not everyone you pray for for healing will come back and tell you. 
Guys, more people get healed than you know. And so uh, I don't know if it's one out of 10. I, I would love to think it's that way. Oh, yeah, we only got 10%. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what that percentage is. But um, we've had people tell us of cancer healings years later. I'm like, seriously? Like, you're on your deathbed? You're healed? And you don't tell us for years later? Like, like you think we don't need the encouragement? So I'm sending out the back signal. Let us know! <laughs> Not so we can pat ourselves in the back and, and put some notches in the wall, but so that we can be encouraged. Remember, the, uh, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so when we hear those testimonies, it prophesies he wants to do it again. I remember uh, one of my buddies, he, um, I don't want to say his name because I don't want to embarrass Jason. <clears throat> but uh, didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit, and we were arguing on the phone, and uh, he was complaining about his shoulder. I'm like, well, let me pray for your shoulder right now. And uh, I, said, I said, what happens? He said, when I lift it, all the strength goes out of it, and it goes limp. So I pray for him, and I don't talk to him for a couple months. And when we talk a couple months later, he's like, oh, yeah, strangest thing. After he prayed, my shoulder got healed. I mean, you didn't think to tell me that? <laughs> Guys, there's more people that are getting healed than you, when you pray for them. So just be encouraged by that. Sometimes you may not know. Here's another lesson. Faith needs an activity. Many times in the Bible, Jesus had them do something, and it was in them checking it out that they got healed. There's a guy with a shriveled hand. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Guess what? A guy with a shriveled hand can't. But as he acted on that, when his faith took an action, the activity of heaven met him. Take up your mat. The guy's paralyzed. He can't take up his mat. But as he swings his leg, as he, as he, as he tests it out in that. I just prayed for a guy last week, and... Um, and uh, prayed for him, and he's just kind of standing there. And I said, well, go check it out. And as he's walking, he begins jumping up and down, and all the pain's out of his body. It, it wasn't, you guys see that there, faith needs an activity. Sometimes it's in that action of, of you're looking for improvement. You're looking, and you're realizing, hold on. It doesn't have to be something noble. You don't have to, like, go do a cartwheel if you've got, like, a bad back or something like that. But just do something. Like, move your body and check it out and look for improvement. Don't look for the pain still there. When Jesus saw them, uh, it says, go and show yourselves to priests. As they went, they were healed. And they wouldn't have gone if they didn't believe. But there was in that faith in his activity. I want to say this too. Be a good steward of people. When you're praying for them, don't make them do something that's, uh, if they've got a broken foot, don't tell them to stomp it. If they've got, uh, if they've got diabetes, don't tell them, tell them to go flush their insulin down the toilet. That may be where your faith is at and may not be what God's asking them to do. They don't have to do something heroic. Be a good steward of people. Let them decide what check it out means. Okay? Last lesson. Uh, guys, the situation of 10 men being healed at once, this would have been a great opportunity for God to say, my healing will is different for different people. These six were healed, but these four were not for higher purposes. And my sovereign... In my sovereignty, I've decided these four will hold on to this and it will make sense in heaven. This would have been an awesome opportunity for us to see God's will for healing is different for different people. But he didn't. He healed all of them. The ungrateful and the grateful. So I close with this thought. It's always God's will to heal. Christ heals all ten leprous men without distinction or qualification beyond the faith that was required of them coming to him in the first place. What's faith? Coming to Jesus, expecting him to help. That's the only requirement. It's a response to what he's already done. 
It's not prying open his hand. His hand is open. When you see that, there's a little feather going there. When you see that, you respond to that and you say, thank you. This belongs to me. All God's promises are yes and amen. They're yes from the God side. The amen is us turning and facing Jesus and saying, so be it unto me. Thank you, Jesus. It's always God's will to heal. God wants you well. Let's stand for closing prayer. You know, if you're here and uh, maybe you've been, feel like you've been hanging on the outskirts like a leper, or maybe you've been uh, burned in churches, or maybe you have uh, never really come to Jesus. You're just kind of checking out, it's new to you, and you're finding out more about it. Maybe you're someone who you grew up in religion and you just heard how bad you were, and now you're hearing some good news about Jesus that uh, nobody deserves it, and he loves you anyway because of who he is. And you're here and you're like, you know, I'd like to follow Jesus. Like, like I've never made that time where I've said, you know, here's the gospel in two words, is trust Jesus. It's not just believing facts that he died and rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. The demons believe that. But there's a trust. There's, I'm putting my confidence in him. I'm relying on him. I want, I want as much of Jesus in every area of my life as possible. I want to learn from him how to live my life as if he were in my place. I'm going to draw strength from him. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a follower. I'm learning from Jesus how to live my life. And so if you're here and you're like, I, I want to trust Jesus, I, I want to do that. Of course, it'll include forgiveness of sins. But uh, it's not just about getting you into heaven when you die. It's getting you into the kingdom of heaven before you die. Yes. It's getting you into the realm of his power and his presence on a daily basis, and you can live in it if you want to. Yes. So is there anybody here? And uh, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so I'm not, asking to, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but there is something about raising your hand. So with every eye open, everyone looking around. Is there anybody here and you're like, <laughs> is there anybody here and you're saying, you know what, Jim, I need that. I, I, I'm either, I've either walked away or I've never done it, but I want to trust Jesus today. Just if you could just be bold, just raise your hands. Anybody in here? Today I need to trust Jesus. Anybody in here? All right, if you didn't raise your hand but you needed to, we'll pray for you afterwards. We won't, uh, we won't, we won't shun you. Ah, you missed your time. The, the ark is closed. But guys, if God's stirring your heart, um, you know, the Bible talks about responding while it's still called today. And so uh, the question isn't if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? The question is if you're going to live tomorrow, whose power do you want to live in? And so if you're online and you're watching this, I know you can't uh, really raise your hand online, but I'm going to pray a prayer and uh, maybe someone will get it on replay. But... Um, Let's just, let's just pray a prayer of dedication, then we're going to do a second part here. Jesus, we love you. Oh, I didn't know you were going to repeat it. Okay, okay, well, all right, we can do that. And so, uh, I'm sorry for living in my own strength. I trust Jesus. I see that he is the one. He is the one who's the master of life. And I want to learn from Jesus how to be like him. Jesus, I want as much of you in my life as possible. Forgive me for my sins. I trust you. Amen. Well, it looks like a, good, uh, a large majority of the room...